Welcome to the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your North Star for mastering endurance training and holistic health. Join us each week as renowned sports scientist and founder of Athletica.ai, Paul Larson, along with athlete, coach, and sports scientist Mariana Rakai, and coach and cyclist Paul Warlowski, guide you through the maze of often confusing training principles. Make sure your compass is ready. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Athletes Compass, where we navigate training, fitness, and health for everyday athletes. This week, we are answering a listener question, and it's a serious question. Can our bodies experience too much stress in extreme exercise like Ironmans or ultras or long gravel races? Is this stress temporary or long-term damage something we should be concerned with? So here's the question from Athletica athlete Janice Campbell from Canada. She asks this, I'd love to hear a discussion about the short-term detrimental effects of extreme endurance events on the body and the time frame for recovery. What happens during an endurance event like an Ironman that sets an athlete back? I speculate that it could be rhabdomyolysis or destruction of the mitochondria organelles. I love that she's making some guesses. So what are some of the effects of of doing these kind of long-term or long distance and long time kind of events. What do you think, Mariana? Well, I could list a few short-term effects that I know of, um, which are GI issues, uh, especially, I find that especially during the running or if you're doing uh, triathlon at the last uh, leg, which is always the running, uh, we often um, experience some trouble and often it is nutritional uh, based on what, what you've been eating and how much sugar you've <laughs> put in uh, because it's hard for your digestive system to tolerate all that sugar that you're asking it to digest. We could have problems like hyponatremia, which is um, when your blood sodium levels get out of whack, um, oftentimes it's because we drink too much water or that we lose a lot of sweat. Um, another one is heat stroke and or hyperthermia. If you're doing like something cold, <laughs> like uh, my bucket list item, uh, Norseman, I've tried to get in twice, mm-hmm. but haven't got in yet. So maybe next year. And then muscle damage. We all know we, we all know the the soreness in our muscles, um, inflammation. Um, and we're gonna get into this a little bit deeper. We're gonna bring in Prof and his uh, his uh, Iron Man recovery study. Um, but this is what Janice is talking about, the muscle damage. And um, when we destroy our muscles enough, like cause those micro tears that we do during a long, long runs or Ironman, um, we can have myoglobin, which usually is in the muscles. We can have that present in our blood 
when when myoglobin breaks down uh, into substances that can damage the the kidney cells and lead to rhabdomyolysis. Um, another one is central uh, nervous system fatigue, and that's the feeling of trash <laughs> that I've been talking about, like feeling garbage. And I think this could be a really, really important uh, point to recognize in yourself, like when you've done your long uh, ultra runs or Ironman, any ultra event, how do you feel after, immediately after and, and a few days after? Because oftentimes you feel that nervous system fatigue and maybe similarly when you're going through a stressful period of your life, in your life and you keep training. So uh, I can pinpoint when I've pushed it too far because I'm just my central nervous system is, feels fatigued and I feel trashed. Um, same way, like after an Ironman, just similar kind of feeling. Uh, and then Janice brings up the mitochondria, which are or organelles found in most cells in our body. And those are the powerhouses um, in our cells where the biochemical process um, turns food into energy. And it's... Uh, to me, it seems likely what Janice is, is saying that those get um, this, like, they either the ones that are already old and less functional get destroyed um, and new ones are being built. But I'm sure our professor Larson can help shed the light in that area as well. For sure. Hey, Mariana, you did an awesome job on going through all the various different stressors that we all experience when we do these extreme events. That was really good. And um, yeah, I really don't have too much more to add. Just to, just to maybe simply that they, they, everything is a stress. And when you do an Ironman or an ultra, ultra bike or an ultra swim or whatever your bucket list item is, that day is going to be stressful for you. And, you, you know, you know, when you're, when you're going out there uh, and you're going to do it, that that's what, that's what it's all about, right? Because this is, this is the exciting thing that we're, that we're there to do. This is what we've prepared for. That's why we try to, you know, that's why we do a big build in terms of our, you know, our, our um, chronic training load that we try to try to build up on. Uh, let's, let's use Athletica as, as the example, right? Any, any training thing that we're, um, we're training, um, program that we're trying to do and then we rest and recover and then we have a this big moment of stress and you can actually even see that on the uh performance profile on athletica as well right like you, you can actually see the predicted stress it's going to be huge right on that day so yeah to janice's point you're you're going to have all of that now it just so happens as you alluded to mariana that i did i was interested in this exact same question that janice had and i i did a big study uh, with my colleagues at Edith Kim University it was uh, when I was over there and I was the guinea pig and uh, we did all these various different um, tests on myself before, uh, during and after the event. Uh, if anyone here has been following the Coaching Professor newsletter, you'll have seen me write about some of these um, 
these uh, the things that happen in these. This is a, a, a lot of the um, this is the studies where I'm talking about myself uh, becoming hyponatremic. So I'm you know, drinking too much water uh, and uh, have a basically a dilution of my blood sodium level. And that's a, again, a dangerous, a dangerous thing. I'm becoming hyperthermic. I talked about that as well. My core temperature is way up there, but of course also, um, and what's apparent in this, this study by um, uh, first author, Ken Masaka, is that I get a lot of muscle damage. And that's, um, uh, we'll link into this, this study, but, but this was actually like, we're looking at the time course of the recovery. So imagine you're starting before the event, you're starting with a baseline. Let's just talk about the muscle damage. You start before this, we're talking at, um, you know, low level of the two, two, um, two markers of proteins. One's creatine kinase, and the other one is, as Melina alluded to, myoglobin. And you can see, you know, basically before you start, everything's all attached and whatnot in the body. These levels are almost nothing, right? And then you do the race, and at the end, they've gone up like a thousand percent or more. Um, and that is actually because you created these micro tears in the muscle and these enzymes like, like creatine kinase, like myoglobin, um, they've leached out into your bloodstream. Now, as Janice mentioned, um, rhabdomyolysis, it's a, I guess it's, it's potentially a problem situation where your kidney has to handle this, um, all these proteins. And it's, yeah, it, it's a problem because it can actually cause kidney, kidney damage. So, um, you know, these are, when we see people in the medical tents and whatnot, this, this might be, uh, you know, one of the, one of the issues that they're struggling with. Uh, it's very, very rare, I will say to, you know, for these individuals to go from the medical tent and then move into like, you know, to a hospital sort of setting, but it has occurred. So it is something to, to be wary of. Um, but again, if we go back to the study, what, what I showed was that I recovered, generally speaking, you know, these, these markers of myoglobin and creatine kinase um, got lower and lower in the hours and days uh, following, such that by day two, they were, they were half, the markers were about half what they, they were post-race. Again, post-race, they were both up over a thousand percent, and then they were, they were down to about half after two days. And they were down half again after three days, uh, half again after four days, and pretty much back to normal within eight days uh, of the race in terms of those uh, those those enzyme markers. Um, and so, yeah, that's um, that was probably you know that is, and you think about the soreness that that you have, right? Like that's probably probably follows the time course of that soreness as you as you recover from. Uh, an event like an Ironman where, you, you know, there's a lot of running that's involved. So, um, yeah. And, um, I don't know if we want to, any, any thoughts on what I've said there, Ryan? What did you do like immediately after like, just knowing what you went through during the Ironman and especially the, the run portion, what did you do immediately after? Like, what were your recovery methods? Did, like, because obviously you were in pretty rough shape. Shape you were hot. You were close to heat stroke. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a. Um, I had a. Again, we've got the data here, so we actually know. I'm not just not just saying this. We've got like I I'd swallowed a, a core temperature pill, so I knew exactly. You know, I had a, 
with a 41 degree core temperature. Oh. And um, so I was yeah, like, like, a, like a heat stroke sort of thing. And this was about halfway, it was a bit, um, got to about the half marathon phase and really was sort of walking, walking the rest. Um, and then, then I developed again, probably too much drinking. So this is a 35 degree Ironman Western Australia event. And again, I was of the belief prior that water was my only friend and I just had to drink and drink and drink and I, I over drank and then, um, so coupled with the, the high temperature, the over drinking, you know, um, possibly some, some hormonal issues are uh, also occurring in there. Some, um, some uh, water retention hormones, specifically antidiuretic hormone gets, it gets pushed by your, by your brain and causes you to hold on to a lot more water. So all this is kind of going on. I do finish the race. I think it was my, it, this was my worst uh, race ever. I was 11, 11.38, I think. Uh, long walk, basically. And then I got to the end. And then I was on, which probably I should not have done. But then I got onto an IV drip and, because of my state. And you think about it. So here I am in a hyponatremic situation. Hyponatremic means uh, low bl blood sodium. So now I'm putting more water into an already dilute um sodium compartment again we're oblivious to all these problems right so i'm, I'm probably and, and and again we have the data to show that in the recovery phase in the two and two and four four hour period following my my hyponatremia got worse and i got into clinical hyponatremia which is a 130 um uh milli equivalents uh, Per liter, which is yeah, not not good, <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah. So that's uh, that was sort of the state that I got in in that first initial period. Recovery food was pizza, as is, is often uh, what, we're, <laughs> what we're doing. So uh, yeah, I was I was just basically, but I, I and um, this is the other interesting thing. And anyone that's had the done, done an Ironman and maybe had this this recovery period after I wake up in the middle of the night just raging, have to. Uh, to go um, to go pee, which is a great thing because it means my kidney is all of a sudden kicked in finally, and it's it's clearing the water that it needs to. But yeah, I remember that. And then that's that's actually I wasn't actually wasn't often you're not hungry right after these events, so wasn't hungry actually. I think I had a piece one piece of pizza and I went to bed. But yeah, I woke up at you know whatever it was one or two in the morning, and then you know a lot of big urine. Uh, urination and then eating pizza like crazy kind of thing so that's everything <laughs> that was the recovery recovery mode and yeah that's um that was the that was that race and then you just on that time course um actually i think i think there's there's i just want to keep going to a, a few this this study was quite quite something in terms of the tests that we did before and i know you know Paul and Maria, you guys were commenting on some of the, the tests that I had to do, right? So I'm doing like VO2 max tests um, and like running, cycling efficiency, running a running economy. Um, these are hard tests to sort of do. And then I can actually remember like uh, having to do some of these tests in the in the post um, in the post recovery period, and they're they weren't easy to do. Um, because you know, because of the muscle damage that you've got, right? Like the last thing you feel like doing is running on it doing like you know doing these vo2 max tests but but um yeah you, you see 
Yeah, go ahead, Marianne. And I'm I'm looking I'm looking at the I have the study here and I'm looking at you have the run test 48 hours after the event mm-hmm. and then 72 hours after you had the the cycle test to exhaustion. Like, yes. Wow. I want to know how you got yourself through mentally like from that grueling Ironman and obviously nobody sleeps after an Ironman. Your body is just a, such a mess. Uh, and oftentimes we're not hungry, so we're not kicking in that, you know, the the recovery and, you know, rest and digest. We are way up here. Um, <laughs> so, like, but I cannot, like, imagine doing any running two days after or <laughs> any test yeah. uh, to exhaustion three days after. Like, yeah. I, well, I'm, I mean, I'm just mind blown. The Thanks, level of Mary. commitment to uh, research. <laughs> that's this is just what I've dedicated my life to, right? That's, that's why. I, and uh, yeah, I just I just really enjoy. It. I mean, they, the data is really cool. I can remember some of these. I'm looking at the vertical jump height. So imagine, like, again, also the last thing you want to do is a vertical jump. Yeah. Test, right. <laughs> and what do you think? What do you think you probably saw? Of course, the vertical jump is very very low after the race, right? But yeah, like it was fun trying to do these sorts of things. We see, you know, after, it's not interesting, actually, there's a pretty, I'm actually able to vertical jump, not too bad, after 48 hours, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, wasn't, wasn't your blood, wasn't your heart rate depressed? And wouldn't that oh, have yeah. made, wouldn't that have made the VO2 max test really hard to, yeah, to even do in the first place? Well, totally. But we see my, we see my cycling VO2 max come down, like, yeah, in 72 hours post, um, by 500, you know, 500 milliliters, like, you know, half, half a liter, basically it's down. Um, and you know, to Janice's, uh, you know, thoughts around the, the damage to mitochondria, maybe that's one factor that's kind of kicking in mm-hmm. who, who really knows. Um, uh, I think that like the other one, um, Mariana mentioned about around central depression. So, uh, and this is, this is easily seen in something as simple as grip strength. So, you know, grip strength, I think everyone can kind of imagine is those little hand dynamometers that you squeeze, right? And we can actually measure how many, you know, kilograms of of force are actually creating there. So, and and we can see even just post, you know, two hours post the race, I can't squeeze that grip thing. Um, You know, it's down maybe at least 20% post. And, And it stays down 12 hours, comes back a little bit, 24 hours almost comes back 48 hours almost like 48 hours there's good recovery in a lot of the a lot of these variables the, yeah the running economy that one that one definitely stayed suppressed this is so basically i um you know i was running on a treadmill i think at 12 kilometers an hour that was just just standard like and i just and that was i remember how hard that was and now that that's we see the opposite in that one so my VO2 is actually really high. So it's like I'm no longer efficient at running, and like I really have to breathe. I remember breathing so heavy as well to um, to try to run at, at 12 12 kilometers an hour. Um, it's interesting how the body still tries to adapt to accomplish any of these tasks that mm. that you ask it to do if if you're motivated. But um, but yeah, it's certainly yeah. You, with all of these things, we we feel uh, you know. We, we don't feel like this, like we did. We don't feel fresh like we did in the beginning. Well, what's what's remarkable about your study and about most 
of the time when people do these extreme events is that even though you were getting tested as much as you were in addition to the recovery, you still mostly recovered in eight days. And most people who do these kind of events recover fairly well within a week. Um, and most of the research papers that I read prior to this episode, it, it looked as though the majority of the detrimental effects that Janice asks about and that you are talking about, Paul Mariana, is that they, they are temporary, you know, a couple of days to a week. But some papers, there are some books that are coming out about some of the more long-term negative effects of this intense exercise. You know, what are there some long-term effects? What do we know about it? And let's let's start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and maybe this is where we need to, you know, ask yourself as well, Paul, because, you know, you've got some, uh, some heart stuff as well. And I've seen this in a lot of different athletes too, right? Like, um, especially in the, you know, uh, in the triathlon program, work with the New Zealand Olympic triathlon program. And there were a number of athletes that, that actually had, you know, um, various different um, AFib kind of issues and um, yeah, just uh, irregular heartbeats and these sorts of things. Another another sad example is my friend Laurent Vidal, the late late Laurent Vidal, who sadly passed in his sleep from a heart um, uh, abnormality uh, and uh, hard to actually know what what it was. But you know we were so Laurent is a an Olympic. Uh, he was fifth in the in in London Olympics. Um, wow. Uh, coach, um, coach, and husband of uh, of Andrea Hewitt, famous famous triathlete, and Laurent would actually uh, there's some really scary footage actually of Laurent in the middle of uh, an ITU running race. He's at about uh, you know three or four kilometers of the of a high intensity um, uh, ten you no know, ten k run in the in the in an ITU event, and he literally falls over. You can see him like racing with the right up there at the, at the front, and then he literally falls right over and hits the uh, hits the fence. So um, you know, and this this is just and you know, in speaking to him, it's just like all of a sudden the lights go out, you mm. know, and he's right at VO2 max and then gone. So something about that high intensity was not sitting with him. He retired. Went, turned to a coach, but then again, sadly, in his sleep, just uh, his heart, you know, his heart just stopped. Um, so there are these rare occurrences of, um, but they are, very, they are very, very rare. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there may be some long-term damage, but again, how do we actually know that, uh, you know, it's actually the, the, the exercise that's causing this? versus whether this would just happen, um, you know, in, in to, as it does to every, everyday people. I, I'm wondering, um, yeah, what are your thoughts, uh, Mariana and Paul, on, on the, um, you know, long-term effects? Yeah, I, I, you know, I have now heart problems that I never had before, and whether they're related to, you know, 40 years of riding a bike and running, I have no idea. And the doctors don't know either. And, you know, there's some, excuse me, there's some family history of mild heart issues, but nothing like what I had. Um, And, you know, one of the, the 
points to be made is, you know, yes, the head and ablation, and yes, things were fixed, and yes, there may be a risk for some kind of other ventricular kind of event, but at what at what cost? I mean, does that mean that I sit at home and eat ice cream and and not ride my bike and enjoy life? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I think there's that, um, there's that health. I mean, yes, I get a little nervous, um, getting my heart rate up now. And it's like, is this going to cause a problem? It, it, that's not what caused the problem before. It was just anytime I rode my bike or anytime I was at home, I would have, uh, an AFib event, um, or a ventricular event. But there's that balance, you know, it's like, you know, living healthy, living, living well and having a condition. Um, but is there, I guess the, the question is, is there enough evidence that, you know, there may be some long-term damage, there may be some long-term negative health effects, um, but are these limited to going exceptionally hard? Are they limited to extreme um, endurance events. I mean, what what do we know, if anything? Well, again, I, I reflect a little bit on uh, Phil Maftone's work in Hit Science, where he says that you know, again, you know, Phil's known for the the low intensity stuff and um, you know the, the his math math training, right? Um, L two training, you know, zone two training, and um, but you know. He, and again, he's, you know, if you know Phil, he's you know, coached Mark Allen and he says, that, you know, do you, do you think Mark Allen did not do any, any sort of high intensity interval training before, you know, he won six Kona events? Of course he did. So um, the key is you need to be healthy to be able to uh, accept that type of stress. And, and again, this is what we've gone into in depth in, in our, our former podcasts, right? So when when we are when we are healthy uh, and a little bit young, that helps too, right? Like there's a great adaptation that occurs in the young, healthy, healthy athlete for that high intensity stuff. Uh, but you know, I think if we add potentially the unhealthy athlete plus the high intensity work, and I would put myself in that category probably. I was not, you know, I, I was mentioning I was. Probably eating a little bit too much pizza. I think I, I think I might have mentioned in in a former podcast or uh, that you know I was I was drinking a two liter of Coke uh, a day and because I thought that I could and uh, you know and that that carbs were king and um, yeah I don't don't I think that's probably contributed to some of my challenges in the uh, you know in in a in you know Mariana mentioned in, inflammation right so when you're taking in all of that sugar in the during that event that's why you feel so crap at the end of the day often it's because you've got all of this um they're called loss or reactive oxygen species uh you know free radicals going going off the chart big inflammation big inflammatory state you just you're just kind of a mess right and again long-term uh long-term impact of that plus high intensity work and we've got the unhealthy athlete that we spoke of of previous and uh that could certainly probably it probably did contribute to my joint inflammation and that could potentially even impact things like you know like your heart problems we don't i don't think we know 
No. So, um, so, um, but again, to your point, Paul, yeah, are we gonna, are we gonna not move our bodies, especially as we age? No. Like, I'm, yeah, I think that that's there's something to be said for quality of life. So even if there is those potential risks, um, I'm personally going to take them. Um, always appreciating my own context and um, trying to be trying to do it as as healthy as I can. We know that exercise, you know, uh, is good for our hearts. Like it makes our hearts bigger and stronger. Um, and eventually, like after decades of uh, endurance training, well, I don't actually know exactly how long it takes to, you know, see those structural changes in our hearts. But I, I think also we need to think about overall life uh, style factors like again, the stress and the nutrition and how that all, like you said, Paul, um, plays into it. But overall, of course, exercise is, is positive. I mean, we got to get a regular dose. At least, at least I know I do. Uh, I, I know do how, and this is almost more for my mental health than, than any sort of physical health. Like I just feel so much better mentally. Um, the clarity of my, um, my life is, is so much better if, if I'm moving my body on a regular basis and in a, in a logical kind of fashion. So totally. Yeah. It, but do we know anything about, uh, like long-term hormonal effects of ultra endurance races or events or training? Well, I know we got, we've got some great, uh, we've got some, amazing ultra endurance uh athletes on athletica i think of phil for example and he's on he's on the forum very active and uh you know he does these large randonneur um uh where there's like 24 hour plus events right like so mm. and uh and and he's you know i he just i i know in in listening to him and some of his uh some of his words he loves to he loves to be out there just moving his body loves his time on his bike loves getting away from technology and um yeah and and again i completely relate having done uh, you know things like that with uh, team team race across america and uh, there's just something to be said about these these long hours on the bike and i don't need if they're bad then so be it but i just i just kind of can't see how they're too too bad for us to be outdoors breathing fresh air you know exercising burning fat uh, you know, breathing oxygen, all these things are what humans were meant to do. So, uh, and, and more or less, you know, there's, you know, pretty solid evidence that people that are, that have an active, healthy life, uh, are living longer than, than those that aren't. So yeah, overall, it's probably a pretty, pretty positive thing. Like with anything you, as soon as you're born, there's risks. <laughs> yeah. You know, how, and I may end up answering my own question here, but how would I know that something permanent or long-term is happening with my health due to my training and racing versus something that's short-term? And and I say that I may be answering my own question because I definitely noticed, you know, some definite irregular heart activity going on that I ignored for a while because, you know, I'm a dude and I ignore these things. And, um, 
until it got to the point where I started getting dropped on on group rides that you know I, there's there was no reason for me to be getting dropped and I just had nothing in the tank and I said hmm something's going on here so at that point I realized yes there's something long term or more significant happening but are there other things that we can be looking for that listeners could get a sense like if this is happening if these kind of things are happening or is it just something out of the ordinary, something abnormal happening. Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably just like you like you said, Paul. Like there's, you know, you need to be aware of these things that are that are happening, and um, you need to kind of put two and two together, right? You need to need to connect the need to connect the dots. And when you know if if uh, if you're getting dropped and it doesn't make sense that you're getting dropped, then it's it's time to go and go and check things out. If there's a if there's a pain in your body somewhere and it isn't going away like it used to, you you know, you kind of have to wake up and um, you know, and again I'm reflecting on my hip pain, right? It's like um, you know, I'm falling Dan Flues around Dan Flues around in, in my training and that that hip pain just wasn't going away all of a sudden like it used to in the past. So I think it's just a dose of common sense. Um, and certainly, you know, you know, with some of the tools we've talked about with monitoring your heart rate, the pace, your power, heart rate variability, um, but listen, like the feel and the listen that we always emphasize in, in um, on the podcast and, and in Athletic Guide is these are really, really key items as well. My, my takeaways are, are it's an interesting topic that we had that I feel actually a lot better after this conversation than I did going into this conversation, because number one, I realized that there are always going to be short-term effects from doing some kind of extreme endurance event. It's the reality. And those are short-term effects almost always. Number two, if you prepare as much as possible for all eventualities, if you are wise in your preparation, if you've got a good program, if you are not drinking two liters of Coke, if you are if you are doing the kind of things to prepare for an event, you're going to be ready for an event as best you can. But number three, there may be some long-term effects of training and racing at these levels. Um, but if you apply some common sense and if you pay attention to your anything that's weird that's going on with your body, pains or, or aches or your heart coming out of your chest, then those are pretty good signs that you should get things checked out. That is all for this week. Thanks for listening. Join us next week when we dig into how we can really monitor our training progress. For Mariana Rakai, Dr. Paul Larson, I am Paul Warlowski, and this has been the Athlete's Compass Podcast. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your guiding light through the complex world of training for your endurance sport. For a deeper dive into the science, listen to our companion podcast, the Training Science Podcast, and check out the AI Adaptive Training Platform, athletica.ai. Thanks.